Testing. Testing. Hey guys, it's Will and Keith. I'm Keith. And I'm Will. And I'm Will. Oh God. <laughs> oh, you are amazing. This podcast is amazing. The, the microphone just just set itself on fire. I love this podcast already. <laughs> Will and Keith embrace the process. <laughs> okay, we are recording. And welcome back to Will and Keith Embrace the Process here on WKRQ. That's actually from Final Fantasy. I don't know. I don't know why. I keep pretending like I'm getting your references and then at some point I have to admit that I was playing. I don't know what I was going for or trying to think of. I just assumed something would come to me. And what came out was Final Fantasy. Yes, the, 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 the theme song from when you win a battle. Okay. I never played that game. I have nothing to contribute to this part of the conversation. <laughs> so, we'll leave it at that. Excellent. Well, welcome back. Uh, I'm now back from my, my travels. You welcome back. Thank well, you, that's well, right. Welcome back to you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so we're back in the same, in the same space. Although we're, we're trying to still social distance here, uh, we're in a, it's raining, so we're in a garage bay uh, filled with a lot of quaint artifacts belonging to my mother. And we've got the doors open on both sides, lots of air circulation. I think Dr. Fauci would endorse this setup. I, I definitely think so. And I might take a nap on that uh, antique bed over there. It's a beautiful antique bed. If things get too uh, tiring. That antique bed was in my off-off-Broadway play that I wrote and starred in in 2006. I I attended that. Oh, okay. So you remember. Yes. That was my bed. I actually just found pieces of the prop wall recently. I mentioned that to you. Oh, that's right. There was sort of collage, a wall of collage cover, like magazine. That was the other play that was performed... The same night as part of a, I don't know, double. You were a soldier. Double play. You were a soldier in that. Yeah, I was like a revolutionary who'd failed and been thrown in prison, in some unspecified Eastern European country, which is actually on theme because pretty soon we're going to be talking about an unspecified, or rather, a fictional Eastern European country. Mm. We're going to get to that in a bit. Uh, so yeah, we're surrounded by artifacts of my past and my future. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially your future. Yeah, I think, I think mostly uh, this is where I'll be living my life in this garage. It really suits you. Thank you. With your with your new SUV that you're driving in your in your rustic garage. I'm trying to lean into a whole look here. I think it's you should stop funny. shaving and really. I don't shave. I just trim. Well, actually, yeah, I shave. You should stop trimming. Okay. And just let it ride. It's not what your mom said. <laughs> Boop. <Huh>? Take two. <laughs> she actually did say that. I can't believe I said that. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's nice to have stuff to cut, though, from the episode. Yeah, I look forward to it. <laughs> um, so, so do here you want to do? Want to do? You want to just do this a spoiler alert right now, so we don't forget? Yes. Yeah. Let's get the spoiler warning out of the way. So today we're discussing WandaVision, <laughs> which is a relatively new show on Disney Plus. And it is the kind of show that can easily be spoiled by even beginning to talk about it. Uh, so we can't possibly discuss WandaVision without spoiling plot points. Not only for this show, actually, but for uh, various movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So yeah. We'll have spoilers for Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame and uh, 
possibly other movies as well. WandaVision is only nine episodes. That's right, yeah. So you could definitely go and see it. Yeah, you could press pause on our podcast, yeah. watch nine hours of television. No, not nine hours. It's it's The episodes vary. They're between like 30 and 40 yeah. minutes. Are so there, is there a 40-minute one? There, there's one that creeps up there, but that's including credits. Which are long. Yeah, it's really long credits. So let's, yeah. Okay, so okay. it's four to five hours of film. Yeah, so you can go fork your money out to Disney. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and watch that and then come back. And then come back. So here's here's your pause to go do that. Okay, great. Welcome back to our podcast. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed WandaVision. Uh, and I think we were we were gonna we were gonna start by we should have said up front whether we recommended watching it or not. Uh, I do, I guess. But um, we were gonna start by kind of situating this in the larger story of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I think it's worth a conversation. It's 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 an interesting um, landscape. I, I find it interesting, just the history of the Marvel copyrights and different companies that own them. Yeah. Um, Netflix, for instance, has just surrendered all of their copyrights. Oh, over. is that right? Yeah, I think they all expired February of this of this year. Oh, okay. So that's sort of new news. Yeah, because they were doing a whole bunch of shows with Marvel. Yeah, Daredevil, and Luke Cage, all the Defenders. Yeah, and then all that stuff was kind of put in limbo when Disney bought Marvel because they didn't want to be competing with Netflix for their streaming service, mm-hmm. uh, Disney Plus. And so there was a lot of doubt about whether, you know, whether those shows could continue or in what form. Uh, well, Disney owns them now. Okay. Well, they've gone back to Marvel, I should say, I guess. Okay, right, but Marvel is now under the Disney umbrella. So. Yeah, actually, I'm not totally sure if the if the Marvel Studios, if there is still any other Marvel, or if Disney bought the whole shebang. I think Disney bought the entire company. That's what I think as well. So yeah. the studios, the comic books, mm-hmm. all the intellectual property, I'm pretty sure they just bought the whole gosh darn thing. Intellectual is, uh, we're using loosely. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I'll have none of your anti-comic book snobbery. What's a point? What's kind of interesting, also to me, is, um, and I don't know how this will resolve, is um, the Fox Marvel rights. Right. And well, so Disney bought Fox also. Yes. So yeah. So for quite a while there, Fox had the rights to all the X-Men characters, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of characters because it was X-Men and all associated characters and concepts and storylines. Yeah. So uh, we're not talking about, you know, the, the six people who happen to be in the X-Men at any, at any given moment. We're talking about hundreds of different characters, mm-hmm. talking about 50 years of stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the word mutant, like Marvel movies never use the yeah. word mutant because that's part of the X-Men intellectual property. Mm-hmm. But um, now Disney can use mutant. Right. So now Disney owns Fox and Marvel and, uh, and they can do and the, anything they and want. the ghost of George Lucas. That's right. <laughs> they own George Lucas as well. Uh, and, and that is, a, I guess, speaking as a geek, and a Marvel geek in particular, it's very exciting to me that now there's the potential for introducing X-Men characters into the Marvel Cinematic Yeah, universe. I think it's really exciting. Well, I, mean, I hope they do it well. Yeah, and I'm wondering, so, there, I'm, 
reading online, it, it seemed like they were still treating it as like an independent franchise, even though they bought the whole company, Marvel and Fox. Yeah. But they made, but they weren't necessarily bringing the Fox storylines into the to the Disney Marvel. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. That I I, I think that's the correct decision because. Mm-hmm. Those storylines have their own continuity. The Marvel continuity, the Marvel Cinematic continuity so far, it's pretty tight. Yeah. Uh, they've done a really remarkable job of keeping it, frankly, a, a better job than the comic books have often done <laughs> over the years. I mean, I mean, the, you know, comic books have been going since the early 60s, and in, in, some, in the case of some characters before that, so it's been a pretty big task. Um, and there's a whole conversation we could have about Marvel's approach to continuity, as contrasted with DC's approach to continuity. Actually, one of the most revolutionary things about Marvel Comics in the early 60s, they were just this total scrappy nothing of a company that, in a very short period of time, became a major competitor for DC, which was much bigger mm. and much more established. And uh, and that, you know a lot of that is just down to the genius of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and all the people who were working there. But one of the things that Stan Lee did that was so... Uh, it was so exciting to people, was he pulled the continuity together in a pretty radical way. He, he made sure that all these stories took place in the same universe, that what happened in one book could affect another. Mm-hmm. You know, so if something happened in Fantastic Four, you know, Spider-Man lives in the same city. He lives in New York, so it would affect him the next week in his book. Yeah. And uh, early on, Marvel was, was very, very eager to make those connections and emphasize those connections. And DC had done some of it with crossovers and team-ups, um, but they hadn't really leaned into that idea yeah. of the shared universe. I mean, that is one of the things that's so interesting about about the Marvel Universe, yeah, is, is, is the intermingling. Um, I was mostly an X-Men fan, but, you know, that would also include the, you know, X-Force and Excalibur all sort right. of cross, um, um, cross-referencing each other. Very interesting. Very yeah, interesting. I was also, well, I think it, partly it's question of when we grew up, right? You and I were reading comics aggressively in the early 90s, mm-hmm. and the X-Men were just the biggest thing in town. It was so good. It was great. It was great. It was when Jim Lee was drawing the X-Men, Chris Claremont was writing it. It was a very exciting time. Um, and the Avengers just weren't that big a thing at that moment. Um, you know, they've, they've sort of waxed and waned over the years, but um, it's a fairly recent phenomenon for the Avengers to be like a flagship title of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, it's interesting. They're really the, the big name in the cinematic universe. Right. Like massive. They are like it is the universe. Right. And partly, perhaps, because Marvel didn't have the movie rights mm-hmm. to the X-Men. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Fox X-Men series has also done well, mm-hmm. um, but not on the same scale as the, as the Marvel, the Marvel Studios stuff. Um, yeah, I, I sort of... The, the the later movies, the X-Men movies that Fox made, you know, there are pros and cons to them, but I, I did sort of finally get the feeling that maybe they were building up our sort of new character continuity huh. that I that I was enjoying. You know, like the Michael Fassbender, Magneto. Right. Um, well, there's a pretty good contrast. <clears throat> if we want to talk about, yeah, the approach to continuity... Like I said, the Marvel Studios movies are pretty tight. The Fox X-Men movies, they've made far fewer of those, right, than mm-hmm. Marvel Studios. They, you know, they've, they've made, I don't know what it is, 10 now or something? That sounds about right. Uh, and 
they've had to restart, they've already had to restart that continuity at least once completely. And they've also had a lot of weird issues with the time scale, where it's like the, the X-Men First Class took place in the 60s, and then the sequel was the 70s, and the sequel to that was the 80s, but the characters really didn't seem to age yeah. at all <laughs> in 20 years. Uh, it's because they're mutants. Yeah. It, it seems like it seems like Fox got into... They were making it up as they went along. Yeah, And they definitely. got into continuity problems really quickly, like remarkably quickly. Like, they only made three movies that followed a single storyline, and after that, they had to sort of reinvent the wheel. <laughs> Yeah, I think th- I think they were not trying hard enough to really build a, 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 a continuous storyline. Well, they were taking an approach that's much more similar to what every other movie franchise has done yeah. in the entire history of Hollywood, which is, you know, the sequel kind of picks up where the original left yeah. off, but you're not that worried about creating a world. You're not that worried about spin-offs. Maybe you'll get one if you're lucky, but everything's kind of just... On a movie-to-movie basis, right? What's yeah. the next one, and what's the next one, and what's the next one? And we've all seen the limitations of that approach. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, it it can work in the sense that you can make fun movies that way, or even great movies that way. Uh, but there, it, 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 you know, most movie series don't feel planned out because they're not planned out. At most, it'll be a trilogy. At most, okay, it's Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And these three movies do follow one trajectory. And, of course, it helps that they're adapting a series of books, <laughs> or even arguably one book, right? Lord of the Rings is arguably a single book. Ah. Um, so that's that's kind of as far as it went with continuity until the Marvel, Marvel stuff came along. And they, they invested really heavily in that idea of an interconnected world. All these characters share a universe... They are all potentially interacting with each other. Someone who's a lead in one movie could be a supporting character in another, even if they're played by a big star. And that was that's totally revolutionary. No one no one had done that before. It's just so much more ambitious. And they've really pulled it off. I mean, they're really managing to tell these small-scale stories that take place within larger-scale stories. And they've managed to keep it pretty coherent and let you invest in an individual movie while also signaling to you this isn't the whole thing. And if, if, if you didn't see the last Thor movie, you can still watch this, whatever this is. Um, but <laughs> there are references you're going to miss, right? There are things mm-hmm. you're going to miss. It would be better if you actually did know who uh, Darcy Lewis was, right? Um, and that's... I, I feel like it's a thing that maybe people don't talk about enough. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not the first person to say this, but... The general public seems to take Marvel movies for granted, almost like they've always been there. Like, oh yeah, and then the superhero thing is big, and they're huge movies, and everyone sees them. It's like, well, yeah, but that's only been true for about a decade. Yeah, it, it's it's a crazy phenomenon now, and it happens so fast, and all of a sudden people care about Marvel, right? <laughs> Whereas before, no one even knew. I mean, they knew of it, but barely. Yeah, and especially characters like like Iron Man was in many ways, the linchpin character of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he was a B-list character, you know? The average person had never heard of Iron Man, or if they'd heard of him, it was like, oh yeah, some silly comic book thing. People are acting now as if Tony Stark has always been a cultural icon, and of course he has been, to a really, really small 
a segment of the population since 1963 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Tony Stark didn't matter at all to the general public until 2008. That's really recently. We talked about that before. I don't know if it was on, on the podcast or not about uh, Robert Downey Jr. and just what an epic job he did in that role yeah. and how that really set off a lot in motion. Yeah, and what a what a risky choice he was. Yeah, that was... I don't think we did discuss this on the podcast. Oh, we, no. we discussed it privately, I guess. Yeah, yeah. we did. Because we actually have a friendship outside of doing this podcast, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was, he was one, not an obvious choice to play that character. You know, Tony Stark is sort of Mr. Suave, Mr. Sophisticated, mm-hmm. and Robert Downey Jr. is, I don't know, a little manic, a little odd. Um, but also a risky choice from the point of view of... Uh, the industry. The industry, yeah. Because one, he was not hugely famous. He was a very well-respected actor. But two, he was very troubled. He had a whole history with drugs. And he was considered by some people to be unemployable just a couple of years before he played the lead in the movie that kicked off the whole Marvel Universe. And, and even the director of that movie, John Favreau, like he had made movies, but not big action epics. Mm-hmm. You know, the closest thing he had done with, was Zathura, which was not successful. Was Swingers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he made good things. I think Zathura is actually a really good movie, but nobody saw it. I don't think I saw it. Is that like the Jumanji spinoff? It's not, but it's inspired by a Chris Van Allsburg. It it is analogous to Jumanji. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, it's not a spinoff, but it's... In space. Yeah, it's effectively Jumanji in space. Okay. And it is based on a Chris Van Allsburg book. Uh, Yeah, it was super fun. I thought it was great. But uh, it was not a success. So from the very beginning, Marvel Studios has been willing to invest in people who are not... Uh, home runs. You know, people who are not obvious choices. And wow, did they hit a home run. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, like the biggest home run. Like, imagine if you hit a home run and there were three guys on base, and then not only did those three guys round the bases, but your entire team rounded the bases. <laughs> That's what it would be like. I mean, ten years ago, if you had asked me, I would have maybe said that Disney might be a failing company. You know, that they may have had their heyday. Yeah. But now... Holy cow. Yeah, now they're a total... Like, their brand new streaming service is just packed with highly desirable content. Yeah. I mean, Star Wars, massive. Marvel, massive. Uh, They bought ESPN also. Is that correct? Yeah, I think you're right. I don't care about it, but I think you're right. Sports, I don't know what they are, but... (laughs) Is that like Marvel movies for jocks? It's like negative pizza, which I'm not interested in. Oh, the opposite of pizza? Yeah. Hard pass. Hard pass. (laughs) Um, yeah, well, yeah, and obviously Pixar. I can't remember the whole history with Disney and Pixar, but yeah, but they they own Pixar now. So we uh, should probably talk about WandaVision. Should we? I think so. <laughs> I feel the, like this is going so well, though. <laughs> I know. I really. It's such an interesting topic. Though I think we can get into it more with you know other Marvel uh, titles. That's true. We're just just dipping our toes in the water here. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, so WandaVision. Do you think we should? Uh, hold on, let me think about it first. Yes, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yes. So we're in the show. We've made it, folks, ladies okay. and gentlemen. we finally landed. WandaVision. And that's all the time we have. Thank <laughs> you for joining us. So we'll record for two more hours. <laughs> right, so, yeah, we're in the 50s. It's in black and white. It's There's a laugh track. So let's let's talk about the artistic choices of the show. What do you, what do you think of... The the episodes, um, 
that, that stylistic concept that they're working with. So each episode is jumping through eras of sort of television history right in that sense we start in black and white and then eventually move to color and what do you what's your feelings in general did you like it did you I like that they were really going for something mm-hmm. I like that it's completely different from anything the Marvel Universe has ever done before it was very bold stylistically it was very unexpected mm-hmm. uh, it was a big swing and I like that they took a big swing uh, I also think we watched this show incorrectly. Because you and I binged the show after all the episodes had been released. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of the best way to watch television in general now. Um, but I think this specific show was really designed for the week-to-week experience. It's not a Netflix show. right? Netflix releases all their episodes at once. Mm-hmm. But Disney Plus doesn't. So di- I think Disney Plus really wanted you to watch episode one... And then immediately go on Twitter or Instagram and immediately start talking about it. And say, what the hell Yeah, what is the hell? Oh my God, what a, what a mind twist. And I don't know what's going on. You know, everyone's theories. I need to know everybody's theories. And mm. I think it's designed to be a water cooler show. Mm. Um, and I mean, that's super cool. And actually pretty, that in itself is pretty retro. Just that idea that you would watch something every week and then talk about it. Um, that's, that's something that feels like, to some extent, we've left behind as a culture. Mm. Uh, it's been incredibly frustrating for me as someone who was not following the show week to week because I kept getting spoilers constantly on Instagram. Oh, really? Yeah, I would go on the Explore tab on Instagram and people were making memes about the latest plot development. Uh, and so I feel like I had half the show just spoiled for me uh, before I even had a chance. And I, and I didn't get to it late. I got to it as soon as it wrapped up. <laughs> I'll just, I'll, yeah, I mean, I, I'll reiterate that I'm not, I'm basically a, a hermit. I don't, I'm not on social media, so... I don't, I don't get exposed to all those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I need to get the social media out of my life. Not just for this reason, but for any number of... It's really bad. I'll use the time stone. I'd, I'd like to go on the record and say, I think social media is really bad. And I think anyone who has any inclination whatsoever to purge it from their lives should do so immediately with extreme prejudice. <laughs> I think it's very, very bad. Anyway. Yeah, so I... I was... A little bit frustrated um, with the show because I didn't really understand what it was. I didn't right. know where it was going. Right. And so by the end of um, so the the first the first episode goes through the TV show and just at the end as it goes into the credits you get this weird pan out yeah out of television set right and it sort of hints that something's going on. Which was cool. And then the second episode goes through, and it's sort of the same bit. You, you basically are just getting a retro TV show. Right. And then at the end, I think it hits again. And at this point, I was I became enraged. <laughs> and I said, if all nine episodes are like this, I'm going to be so upset. I, I think part of the problem is, though, there is this shot at the end of the first episode where we pull out and we see that the whole thing is taking place on a television screen. But we knew that. It, it was in black and white, and it had a laugh track. And all the jokes were really corny and contrived. It was written in the style of, you know, I Love Lucy. Not, not to say I Love Lucy isn't a great show. It was written like a pale imitation of I Love Lucy. Um, Which is hard in black and white. Oh! Um, so I think, I think part of the problem is, like, we know this isn't reality. 
We know that, for one thing, we know that the vision is dead. Uh, so we know that he's not just going to suddenly be living in suburbia with Wanda with no explanation. But we also know it's TV because every stylistic choice that they've made has been advertising to us that this is an artificial world. We haven't invested in these characters. We haven't invested in this situation. It it, it all feels like sitcom-y to, to an absurd degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's the twist exactly? <laughs> like, of course it's not real. We know it's not real. <laughs> I just... I... 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 I didn't know anything about the show before I watched it. And so I didn't understand where it might be going. Yeah. For all I knew, it was going to be nine seasons of just sitcom knockoffs. It's it's so funny. I feel like we had completely opposite experiences. You were frustrated because you didn't know where it was going. And I was frustrated because I kind of knew where it was going. Um, and, and again, that's... It's partly because I've read some of the relevant comic books. Mm-hmm. It's partly just pop cultural osmosis, spoilers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was a lot of the twists kind of registered as as non twists. Mm-hmm. It's not like I knew exactly what was happening, but I knew what kind of thing was happening. Yeah. Um, I guess I could I understood I understood just logically that it was they were living in some. Um, superficial world or simulation but I didn't know that it was ever going to stop right and I imagine myself watching a full season of 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 retro sitcom knockoffs starring two superheroes (laughs) and the idea of that really pissed me off I I kind of feel the opposite I kind of feel like well maybe we're saying the same thing it was awkwardly perched between two things it, it was trying to be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and also do something stylistically bold, and it, it, it those two those two things are at odds. So yes. I would have loved to see a nine episode sitcom starring the Vision and the Scarlet Witch if I was actually invested in the events of that sitcom. Like imagine if the boss and the nosy neighbor were characters that you could actually care about. Yeah. Imagine if they, those instead of being just total stereotypes. I think that's what it was: is that the the the, the sitcom sections had no depth, mm. and it was entertaining, and you know it got a few laughs out of me, and um, it was I I didn't not enjoy it, but I didn't like it. The thing that makes the show unique is that playing with sitcom tropes and conventions, and that thing that makes the show unique is fundamentally a waste of everyone's time. Yes, that's... It is is fundamentally just a barrier between the audience and the real story that's actually taking place. And then it takes us to... We have to get to the end of the third episode to even really see the other side at all. Right. right? And you can imagine... Like I, I always like the moment when another layer of reality is revealed. I always think that's cool. But you would want it to land like, oh my god, as opposed to like, oh here we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know what I mean. I, it, for me, it was a moment of relief. Yeah, because uh, yeah, like finally, um, we're getting something. But like I said, I didn't know that we were ever going to make it out of of the TV. Fantasy. Right. 
So, I mean, a couple things to say. One is, uh, it happens that my family has been watching a lot of Leave it to Beaver recently, ah. uh, which is sort of the vintage that we start out in, mm-hmm. in WandaVision. Um, and, of course, it's kind of clumsy and primitive in some ways by today's standards, but there are real emotional stories in Leave it to Beaver. We, we care about those characters. We like them. And, uh, and it's not just joke, 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 joke. Uh, it's about people. It's about like real human beings living um, some version of a real life. Sure, it's idealized, um, but it's you know it's not all artifacts. Mm. Um, and so I think I feel like in a way they were, they did a real disservice to the to the shows that they were paying tribute to. Like the, <laughs> the, there was a there was a superiority. The show assumed a kind of superiority vis-a-vis these old sitcoms. It, it assumed that we are all too sophisticated to enjoy that kind of thing. Mm. So two problems. One, we're not. Uh, you can I'm still, certainly not. No, but most people are. No one is. <laughs> you can still watch Leave it to Beaver or I Love Lucy and enjoy it. But two, if we're all too good to enjoy that stuff, unironically, then why are you spending three episodes making us watch it? If, if you don't have respect for the, the, that art form... It didn't feel like an affectionate tribute. It felt like it felt like they were sitting above and judging the genre. Um, and I also think here's a here's another I think relevant point. There was no reason for the style of the sitcom to change. So if the idea is, oh well, here we're getting into another spoiler. But if the idea is that Wanda has created this idealized sitcom world in order to live out her fantasy version of being married and having a conventional domestic family life, then keep it in the 50s and keep it in black and white. There's yeah. no reason to go color. There's no reason to suddenly be, you know, Malcolm in the middle. I, I think that's one of the things that really upset me also was that they, 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 they feel like they have this clever gimmick. Right. Oh, we'll shoot these episodes and each episode will be like a different show. Right. But there's no reason. And I think it really messed with the pacing. Yeah. And 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 why? It like yeah maybe that was fun to do. Yeah. Like it's yeah that's a fun idea for a project, but that doesn't make it a good idea. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like I like style, and it's fun to play around with this. You know, you know, I made a movie. Uh, this is six or seven years ago now, but I made a movie where the whole point was we're. We're breaking up this story into all these oh, different yeah, styles, yeah. right? It was called Seven Lovers, um, and I, you know, it was very much an excuse for me to play around stylistically. Siete amores. That's right. That's it. <laughs> no, it's uh, actually I, I learned the Italian for it because I put it on the marquee as a Easter egg. Sete amante. Oh, I was trying to do Spanish. Oh, you do Spanish? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not in Italian. See, si. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, speak Spanish, but um, um. Yeah, so so uh, you know, not to make this about me, but I I can <laughs> I do see the seduction of the fun of let's play in all these different sandboxes, let's try on every style. This one's black and white. This one's a musical. Mm-hmm. This one's animated. But the big big lesson of that project for me was the only thing the audience cared about was who gets the girl. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, people in the industry might say to me. Oh yeah, it was cool the way you were playing with cinematic conventions, man. And I'd be like, "Thanks for noticing." But normal people would just be like, "I'm glad she ended up with that nice young man. <laughs> he seemed like a nice young man." And what I realized was, 
you know, not, not that I was wrong to make that movie or to make it that way, but that the, the audience is right. If the audience tells you what I'm tracking is what happens and not how it happens or what it looks like or whether it's in color, mm -hmm. the audience tells you that. That's important. That's way more important than someone who's sophisticated saying, ah, oh, I see what you did there with the tropes and conventions of the genre. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? That's, that's not storytelling. Yeah, and if it's, I, think, I think if you could do it in a way that doesn't hold you back or, or do a disservice to the story, right? then that's fine. But the, the, it, just, it just felt... In the beginning, it felt like it was slowing everything down. Yeah. And why does the episode have to sort of delineate the changes? You know, right. Things could just be changing in the middle of an episode. They didn't have to do a full episode. It's sort of... And then to, to, to move through three episodes before they sort of get into the meat of the story just felt frustrating. I mean, the most fascinating version of this show would probably have nothing to do with the Marvel Universe. It would be fascinating if you planned out a five or seven season sitcom that gradually, very, very gradually begins to crack at the seams and reveal a different level of reality. Mm -hmm. So imagine if this thing, instead of nine episodes, imagine if it were a hundred episodes. Imagine if the first two seasons were just getting to know the characters, caring about their lives, their silly little sitcom problems, you know, the, the prom and the, the school talent show and all that sort of stuff. And then season three ends with you know, a character watching that show on television. And you're like, what? 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 Who is that? <laughs> that, that does, I, think, I think that's what was so triggering for me, was, was that, that, like, that credit sequence, like you were saying, where all of a sudden it panned out and they're watching the TV, and all of a sudden I didn't understand what the point of the show was. But if they had just stayed in inside the, the, the genre version mm. and yet kept going with that and strengthened that, that would have been a better show. Yeah. It also would have been interesting, I think, to depict a sitcom from the perspective of a character living in it, right? So if you were uh, the mother in Leave the Beaver, whatever her name, uh, June, if you were June Cleaver, well, for one thing, everything would be in color because the real world in the 50s was in color. Uh, there would be no laugh track, not that you could hear anyway, right? Mm -hmm. If you were Gene, June Cleaver, your experience would be, well, sometimes my boys get into mischief, but I sure love them anyway, and, and you know, <laughs> Ward's a good husband, but sometimes he can be forgetful. So, you know, imagine if, imagine if we were really in Wanda's head, and that was her life, and we believed it was her life. Instead of we're sitting, uh, you know, beyond the fourth wall, looking in, Imagine if, it, if there was a sense of what it was like to actually live in so like, something much more like the Truman Show, right? Where, okay, the reality of it is, is heightened, but, but that's the world that he lives in. That's, that's his life. He wakes up, he brushes his teeth, he does everything everyone else does. It's not on a stage, or he doesn't think it's on a stage. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, the, the show feels... It's cool that it exists. Uh... But it feels like they committed halfway, 
they, they, they took a really daring concept and then they sort of kind of did it. But they didn't really do it. What do you, what do you think about um, the... I think one thing that did stand out for me was... Uh, were the, the lead performances or just their relationship. Yes. That was strong to me. Absolutely. Um, so when, when the show is wrapping up... Um, and you know they're really connecting. Yeah, that felt powerful. Yes, and I sort of got it. Sort of, I got why they made the show. Right, because that relationship is is um, is an intense one and a difficult one, and so I I do appreciate getting a deeper look at those characters. Yeah, I just was frustrated with. Almost everything else about the show. No, I agree. And and ultimately, there is a reason why they've done this whole sitcom thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we can agree they didn't do it particularly well. But there is a reason why they've leaned into the, those stylistic choices. Mm-hmm. And it is all to do with Wanda's psychology. It's all to do with her grief, right? And, the, and eventually the show becomes explicit about this. But this is about grief. Uh, it's about loss. Yeah, she's lost her brother... And then she's lost the love of her life, and she was already an orphan, and she has not, right? And so she she creates a fantasy world where she can have the life that was ripped away from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and then ultimately, then it's about her realizing that that fantasy is unsustainable and is destructive and is hurting other people. Um, so there is a there is an emotional story here. Yeah, that's a strong a strong story. Yes, thematically, that's very good. And, and very real. Um, yeah. And I will say there's one there's one moment in the whole show that, it, for me, and again, there's a lot to like. There's a lot to like about the show. Yeah, and the production is great. I mean, whether yeah. you, whether you care for it or not, it's 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 well made. It's entertaining. Yeah. It's worth watching. Um, we've been a little hard on it. We've been emphasizing the flaws, and I don't apologize for that. But it is, overall, it is a good show. It is good. Um, but there's one moment that, for me, transcended the whole thing and made the whole thing more than worthwhile. And it's when... Um, it's a flashback, actually. They're talking... She and Vision, early on in their relationship, she's grieving her brother, and they're talking about grief. And and Vision says... And, of course, he's the android, right? So he has this kind of uh, removed perspective from all human emotions. He sees it from the outside, to some extent. And he says... Uh, well, it can't. It can't all be grief, because what is grief if not love persevering? And that line is, I think, one of the most beautiful things. Yeah. Um, what is grief if not love persevering? That really hit home for me, um, and it it feels like hopefully it was written by someone who had actually experienced loss. Not that it matters, of course, anyone can write that line, it doesn't matter, but um, but it felt very lived and it felt very real. And, and and yeah, it was a moment where you go, okay, well there there is a there is a non-corporate reason for telling this story. Yeah. And a non-stylistic reason for telling mm-hmm. this story. Um, it, it, ultimately this is a human story and yeah. it's about it's about loss. Yeah, I think a lot of the show is just a distraction from the strength of the story. Um, right, and, and that that could be a, a good thing. I don't think it totally worked, but the the fact that they buried the real story 
in, in a lot of bells and whistles, mm-hmm. that's a device that can work. To make it more powerful when it hits? Yeah. I mean, it did feel powerful. I was sort of surprised yeah. when I cared. Yeah, it's a little bit like the occasional emotional moment in a Wes Anderson movie. You can either say, oh, well, this doesn't work for me because he just spent like an hour and a half on his on his cute little filmmaking affectations <laughs> and, and asking me to care about how, you know, like a nice vintage stapler and now suddenly I'm supposed to relate to someone on a human level. You could say that, or you could say, you know, all that time we spent on all of those trivial details kind of makes it more resonant when suddenly out of the blue with no warning something real happens um, and I've, I've had maybe both of those experiences with Wes Anderson movies um, but I, I think he, it's also worth calling out something that you alluded to already which is the the two leads Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettman um, they do beautiful work yeah. especially in the most emotional scenes where it matters most their relationship is front and center it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's really, really strong. And, and I, honestly, I didn't think Elizabeth Olsen was anything special in um, in Age of Ultron. Uh, or, I guess she was in the Captain America Civil War. Uh, you know, I, I thought she was fine. I thought she's been fine throughout. Yeah. As Wanda. Maybe slightly miscast, but fine. Uh, I thought she was really great in the show. And I yeah. felt like I had underestimated her. Yeah, I think so, too. I, it had been so long since I had watched um, any of the Marvel, Marvel movies. Um, uh, I hadn't. I sort of watched them as they came out and didn't rewatch them, and I had not seen Endgame. Mm. So I sort of, I, I, I sort of had to refresh myself on the on the whole universe. Um, I don't even really remember her very well from the movies. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, great. The, yeah, I think yeah, the the relationship between the two leads in WandaVision is. I would say another reason that makes the show worth watching. Yeah. It is definitely worth watching. If, if we haven't spoiled it for you already, um, it's worth your seeing. Although, can I... Can I bring up one other thing that irritated me? Because we discussed this a little bit already. We talked about... I have one other thing, too. Oh, you have one other thing? We'll each do one more. Okay, one more. You first. So it's a good show. We respect the show. <laughs> There's a lot to like about it. <laughs> However... Well... Uh, we talked about we talked about how exciting it is to be able to take characters from the uh, X-Men world and introduce them into the Marvel Cinematic world, right? Yes, that, this, yes. And this show, WandaVision, kind of did that and then undermined it. Yeah. So Quicksilver shows up. So, so again, this gets into the meta story of the intellectual property, right? Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch were maybe the only two characters that Fox and Marvel Studios both had the rights to, mm-hmm. because those are both definitively X-Men characters, having been introduced in the X-Men comics, and definitively Avengers characters, having you know appeared in many, many iterations of the team, going back to the 60s, and having, frankly, done a lot more in the Avengers comics than in the X-Men comics. Yeah. So they definitively, they belonged to both, and mm-hmm. legally, they belonged to both, and the Scarlet Witch only appeared in the Avengers movies, but Quicksilver appeared in both. He's played by different actors. He had a completely different personality, different backstory, different everything. Same power. That was it. Super speed. Right? Uh, but he was played by Evan Peters in the X-Men movies, and he was one of the highlights. Yeah, he became a big 
a big hit, and in, in yeah. that that character was was great. He was great. Yeah, Quicksilver in Avengers was kind of there to be Wanda's brother and die. It wasn't a bad character. <laughs> like there was nothing wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with the actor or, or the writing. But he wasn't uh, you know, particularly memorable in Avengers. Quicksilver had the best scene in, in X Men. In sorry, in X Men. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, in Days of Future Past, Quicksilver had the best scene in what's one of the strongest X Men movies. He had that scene where you see everything from his point of view because he has super speed, mm-hmm. and so you see everyone moving at a glacial pace, and him basically saving them all yeah. from what could be a totally disastrous situation. Yeah. But he does it as, at his leisure. It's a great it's, scene. It's an amazing it's so scene. good. It's it's really, honestly, it's like one of the best visual scenes ever in anything. <laughs> there's that classic song. That, is it Jim Croce that plays? Or? I can't remember, but yeah. It's, it's something it's about like you've got nothing but time. A music video. It's yeah. Great. It's an amazing scene. It really is just a showcase. The whole movie stops and you just watch Quicksilver be cool. And save everyone. And it's funny, and it's, you know, visually stunning. It's just a great, great moment. So anyway, so halfway through WandaVision, uh, you know, the brother, who's supposed to be dead, shows up, and it's Evan Peters. Yeah, which I was very, which was very exciting. It was pretty cool, right? I was like, oh my god, it's from, he's from the other... Right. So suddenly you've got this Fox X-Men version of Quicksilver showing up in WandaVision, and you're like, whoa, what, what is happening? The, the, the multiverse, world's colliding, what's going on? And then it turns out that it's not him. No, so, so it's it's not that Wanda's just dreamed him up, right? Which is always a possibility because she seems to be controlling reality. Yeah. It's that somehow a guy who looks exactly like the Quicksilver in the X-Men movies lives in this town already. And she mind-controlled him to become her brother, to like play her brother, and the fact that he looks like Quicksilver from the X-Men movies means absolutely nothing. So that's a really cheap and manipulative thing to do to the audience. Like, granted, of course, Evan Peters can play any character he wants to. Yeah. He's an actor, you know, he, he could play Albert Einstein, and it wouldn't mean that Quicksilver <laughs> is playing Albert Einstein. But they very specifically created the expectation that they were doing something cool and meta with these two properties. And potentially introducing a whole world of possibilities for how those two universes could interact. And then they basically pulled out, like, gotcha, just kidding! Which is not, not cool. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it was, it, was a, it was very exciting to think that, that maybe they were starting to pull from the X-Men content. Yeah. And then to just decide that it was just a joke was, was, was I think, a, a terrible idea. Yeah, that, it was a cheap shot. It was, and it's it's fun to see that character again. Like Evan Peters is still very yeah, charming. Yeah, does a great job. Um, hey, he's funny. And his his character in WandaVision is funny. Yeah, yeah. The character works as the character, but the the messing with fans' heads aspect is pretty shitty, actually. Um, it, that sort of connects to my other my last gripe, which okay, is uh, the 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 Catherine Hahn villain appearance. Oh, yeah. So, so I think in the storyline, she is actually the one who created the neighbor into Quicksilver with the magic necklace, with the, with the, with the curse necklace that she put on it. Okay. So it actually wasn't Wanda. Oh, it, so he was already playing a different character? He was just there, presumably, until 
is her name Agatha yeah. Park, Park Harkness until yeah. she shows up and decide it was her who sent him over as as the brother. Okay, but that's confusing also because if he was already there, everyone in town is playing a character in the sitcom, right? They've all been possessed by Wanda. So if he was already there, then she wouldn't have seen him. It's only a town of 3,000 people. So if he were to show up suddenly pretending to be her brother, she wouldn't just think, you don't look like my brother. She would think, you don't look like my brother. You look like the guy who sells the groceries. And I've known you for months. I think they were neighbors. I think he was her neighbor. Oh, right. Because he was, oh, he was the unseen husband. He was the unseen husband. Right. Yes. Agatha keeps referring to her husband, Ralph. And it's, it's actually kind of a classic sitcom joke of, like, my husband Ralph, who's never on screen, he's such a layabout. Uh, right. So so at what point did Agatha come into this whole so she's, setup? She's, Has she been keeping Ralph to herself the whole time? Yes. I don't understand. I think her whole, <laughs> I think her whole character, like, she's, she's really funny. Um, she plays a flying super witch pretty well. Yeah. But I think that character just doesn't make any sense. And, and why in the story that's already convoluted yeah. do you just sort of stick like, surprise, there's a villain who has nothing to do with all these other storylines who right. just came to see what you're up to. No, it's way more interesting if Wanda is the villain or, you know, the anti-hero. Yeah, it's almost like they couldn't yeah, like, they couldn't lean into... I mean, frankly, there are two villains in the show, and they're both just, ultimately, just evil cartoons with no personality. With, with the, no, the sword guy? The sword. Yeah, the guy who he sort of seems like a decent dude at first, and then eventually it turns out that he's just a jerk who wants to, you know, shoot children or whatever. Uh, <laughs> both of those... Both of those things were shoehorned. It would be a much more compelling story if... It's a showdown, right, between Wanda and Sword, and there are no villains. Everybody's well-intentioned, everybody's flawed. Maybe people do shitty things. Obviously, Wanda does shitty things. And, you know, maybe the Sword guy could also. Uh, but uh, it would be a much more interesting story if we felt like there was some, you know, there was some genuine point of view on both sides, as opposed to it really just did become cartoon villain versus flawed heroes. Well, and even the even the flawed heroes aren't that flawed. Like Wanda's flawed, and Vision isn't, uh, which is fine. It's fine that Vision has no has no character flaws because he's not human. But um, yeah, I, I wish they had. I wish they hadn't felt the need to shoehorn in uh, villains who are comic booky in the negative sense. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't necessary, and it felt uh, cheap. Yeah, and and the you know when they get to that sort of epic cinematic movie feeling superhero battle they're flying through the skies winging energy balls yeah it was convincing I said yeah like this looks like a superhero movie but it's not necessary no at all and it just it didn't make any sense and, and her character was literally not connected to anything else in the story no she came out of nowhere and there was already you know the sword guy they're 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 uh, building another vision. Right. A white vision. <laughs> <laughs> right, correct. Um, it's, so it, 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 it just, I, I was very frustrated because I was so relieved to see the story sort of getting somewhere because it kept hinting it going somewhere. Yeah. And then there's this twist, but it's just unnecessary. 
Yeah. Also, I will say that the way they introduced the building of the second vision, mm. I I had to go I had to go back to watch it because it was nestled in the credits. Oh. Did you did you even did you see the scene? I I think I did. So on episode <coughs> I don't know, somewhere between four and six-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, the credit sequence is really long. Yeah. Which sort of annoyed me because it's a half-hour show, <laughs> ten minutes of which is recap and credits. Yeah. Um, um, and, and so I was trying to get through it, so it would hit the credits and I would fast-forward. Sure. Um, to get to the next episode, and all of a sudden there's another vision, and I didn't know where he came from. Yeah. So I had to track back to figure out that they had hidden a scene in the credits. Um, cool credit sequence, very cool visuals. Yeah. Um, but it was just another thing that sort of frustrated me, and I just said, why? Yeah. Yeah, the show is frustrating. It's frustrating because there are so many good things in it. Um, and and it could be, it could be really great. And obviously people have, been very excited about it. There's been a lot of buzz about it. There's been a lot of talk, like the water cooler thing. That's that's great. You know that that it will inspire that kind of response is great. It would be nice if it were better. It would it would be better if it were better. Um, and it could have been better. Uh, yeah, what can you say? Um, I, I'm excited to see where the characters go next. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm you know I like. I like the teaser at the end. It, it does seem like they are potentially setting up Wanda as the next big villain of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, which is cool. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Uh, she's she's not a boring villain. She's a very interesting character, and uh, we and, like her. And, we and really now she her. has this real depth to yeah. her story, which is cool. Yeah, she's really been through some stuff, and and, that, and you know, in the comic books, there's uh, there is a rich tradition of. Uh, Wanda, you know, losing her mind and warping reality and all the other heroes having to somehow uh, fight against uh, her her changes to the fabric of the universe. So uh, we could go there. Yeah. We could do that. That would be, that would be fun. Yeah, I, I like what it opens the door to. Um, uh, and Vision. And Vision. And now vision. the second Vision has the original, or the... the, the the Wanda created Vision unlocked the memories right. of the Vision recreation. Right. And so now that character is, is is sort of up in the air. Right. The he white f- Vision is still out there. He flew off. He flew off. And then you don't see him again. Yeah. And that that also feels like, I mean, you know, comic books love to bring characters back from the dead. It feels like they succeeded in bringing Vision back from the dead in a way that isn't completely cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, his his death still feels like a, a real sacrifice and a meaningful moment for Wanda and for him. And then he, he dies a third time, so I just right. But that's the version. He's that like she, the Sean Bean of <laughs> <laughs> just loves dying. That guy, he just does love to die. What are you gonna do? Uh, spoiler alert: Sean Bean dies in everything. Just spoilers for everything. He always dies. Uh, yeah, you know. So not sorry that I watched it. Not sorry that it exists. Uh, I propose that you and I commit to watching the new Marvel show, Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, episode by episode, as it comes out. Wow. And see how that goes. I believe it debuts tomorrow? Oh. I think it's tomorrow. 
So do you want to do like a segment nestled? Possibly. Or do you or do you, I think we should do like a segment on that and maybe another bit. Yeah. So so we're not doing so we don't spend Yeah. I like that idea. Okay. We could check in at the beginning of each of our episodes about the latest Falcon Winter Soldier mm-hmm. and then go on to talk about whatever. I think that's how, I, I was wondering I didn't know that was going to be a show even. I thought it was a movie coming out. So it is a show. Now what I was doing the re- Phase four, baby. Woo! You, you know that. Phase four, yeah. Yeah. Marvel divides everything into phases. I'm a little fuzzy on what the phases have been so far. All I know is WandaVision is was the first phase four. Oh, it's the first phase yes, four. Yes, that's so it's okay. very exciting. That is exciting. So we've reached well, it, guys. And again, just the idea that you've created a movie franchise so big and sprawling and now spilling over into TV that it actually needs to be divided into phases. Just the idea that that could be a coherent concept. Like, you know, these eight movies all belong to this phase of the larger story. Uh, it's incredible. No one's ever done anything like this before. It's exciting. It's extremely exciting. It's so cool that they're still doing it. And they're doing it at a very high level of quality. You know, yeah. uh, D- DC makes movies with Warner Brothers, and some of those movies are okay. Uh, but they're not doing anything like what Marvel's doing. Nobody's doing what Marvel's doing. And let's celebrate it even if we're not totally thrilled with the latest edition. I think they're doing shrooms. <laughs> Wait, Marvelous? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever they're doing, I hope they keep doing it. Because it is work. Yeah, they, they brainstorm on shrooms, and they write the show on cocaine, and they go back to the shrooms, and it's very effective. They're like, why is everything black and white, man? <laughs> what even is reality? Who's watching us watch them? Deep. Deep stuff. Um, so do you have any other recommendations for our next episode, or should we just come up with Off the Air? I think probably we should discuss off the air. Yeah. Because right now, off the top of my head, I got I got nothing. Um, I got, yeah, nothing. Yeah, I mean, we could, we could. How about next time we just we go a little deeper into the Marvel universe? That could be fun. And then we talk about the first uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier Soldier episode. That could be great. I think we could easily do a whole episode on that. All right. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try to be a little more together with my comic book lecture. Yeah, get your shit I've together. I've that part completely. I, I mean, get your... Together. That's how I'm going to bleep out swears with the Final <laughs> Fantasy music. That's going to be so annoying. <laughs> All right. Uh, great. Well, we're signing off now. Thank yeah. you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast more than you enjoyed Ready Player One. <laughs> <laughs> That is the standard we have to hit every week. And usually fail. All right. Take care, you guys. Ta-ta.